RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Hi, this is Jeff Myers. Welcome to Closing the Distance. I'm one of the pastors at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and it is my joy to welcome Kyle Strobel uh, to the podcast. We're going to have a conversation about the spiritual discipline or spiritual practice of prayer. Kyle is a writer, speaker, and professor of spiritual theology and formation at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University in Los Angeles County, California. He's the author of Formed for the Glory of God about the spirituality of Jonathan Edwards, a fantastic book. He co-wrote Beloved Dust. And I'm not even just saying this, Kyle. They really are fantastic books. Beloved Dust is a fantastic book. And then The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. And then his most recent book that is just so good, Where Prayer Becomes Real. Um, this is this is just, and I was just re, kind of rereading it, going through it again. It just it holds up even uh, since 2021, Kyle. <laughs> Standing the test of time. Yeah. <laughs> and what two? What kind of two years they've been? We've had needed a lot of prayer. So, <laughs> so what? Um, what led you to write a book about prayer? Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think that's the same question the publishers were asking. <laughs> Why another book on prayer? <laughs> yeah. You know, prayer. So, so I, I this was an interesting book because I got to um, write it with my mentor which was really sweet. I mean, that was really kind of um, interesting for me and in part because he, he has influenced me on prayer specifically. Um, but it's funny because our stories are very similar. Like we, we kind of grew up in a very kind of exciting and, you know, um, boisterous, if you will, time of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. And it, we, we grew up in these, these cultures that it was a lot of Bible, a lot of doing a lot of exciting worship stuff. And, we grew a lot. We grew, we were excited. It's not bad. You know, that was good. Yeah. And we both had kind of academic proclivities. So we both went into um, Bible theology and these sorts of things. And we kind of discovered that the more we learned, the less we prayed. Hmm. And as we grew, we realized that, that prayer was a very confusing thing. And looking back, I, I think what I would say now is that it, what happened is that it became performative and to kind of, to quote one of my, um, my favorite pieces on prayer is if you pray the way you think a good Christian should pray, you'll never pray. Oh, and that became true of me. I think I I avoided prayer because I sat down and I thought not explicitly, just kind of subconsciously like, okay, I've got to do what a good Christian would do here without kind of realizing I'm just not a very good Christian. <laughs> like, I don't know what would that look like? And I, I didn't know how to pray as I ought. 
um, or as I can, because I was trying so hard to pray as I ought, right? So that, that was the real problem. And so, you know, in many ways, for both of us, our stories of our growth have been kind of against the backdrop of a real question about, well, what, what is prayer? Why is it so difficult? Why do I close my eyes to pray and either fall asleep or my mind starts going everywhere? Like, what's actually going on? And and so that that has been, in many ways, one of the big questions in my own Christian life. And I, I felt like the Lord has um, has led me as a theologian into those sorts of questions um, and, and very, in very experiential ways and in very life-giving ways for me. And so yep. uh, my hope is that I can kind of help give back to some people who are experiencing what I've experienced. I love it. And I... Yeah. And I think it's like one of those things um, uh, we don't want to admit, especially those of us who maybe have been in the church for a long time. You know, we've been Christians for maybe as long as we can remember. We, and, you know, you don't want to be like, get to your 40 and you're like, I've never learned. I have no idea what prayer is. Yeah. And, um, and so, so I asked, so I interviewed Kai Nielsen last week, mm-hmm. you know, our friend yeah, yeah. Uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I said, Kai, do you have any questions I should should ask Kyle? And he said, ask him, how does prayer work? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great question. And you know, it actually that, that is a great question in so many ways. Cause I think one of the biggest problems that we have is we don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. And so we go to pray. We've and of course, I mean, let's be honest, we just none of us have ever thought about this. I mean, why would we? And that's a in a sense, if you grew up in the church, that's a weird thing to even think about. Like prayer is so normal. You don't think what what, what is yeah. what's happening? Like what am I doing right now? You you just pray, and the problem is prayer is a kind of drawing near to God, and it's opening your heart to the Lord. And the problem we discover in Scripture is when you draw near to God, the truth of your heart comes out of itself. Mm. This is why in First John three nineteen he tells us that when we are before Him, our heart might condemn us. And so, I mean, for some people here, they need they really need to hear that. Mm-hmm. They kind of need to know that what might happen when you pray is you may experience condemnation. Mm-hmm. And that's what John expects might happen. Mm-hmm. But because we think of prayer as an activity we do, what what we immediately turn to is I need to I need to do this better. I need to perform this better, right? I need and so suddenly it's all on how do I make this better? And and one of the things that that as I, as a theologian, the things, when I started getting into prayer and I started thinking about, well, how, how do we think theologically about prayer? You know, one of the things that struck me that's so important is that prayer isn't something you generate. It's something you enter. And so in prayer, part of what, what we need to understand is that when God looks at you, we're told in Romans eight, one of the first things he thinks is, oh, here's someone that doesn't know how to pray. Mm-hmm. So right away, that's good news. Right away, like God doesn't look at you and think, wow, I was expecting a little better than this. <laughs> the <laughs> assumption is, you don't know what you're doing. Right? And maybe more importantly, God's response is to send his spirit into the depths of your soul to pray and intercede for you. And so in Romans 8, we discover the spirit not only is praying for you and interceding for you, but the, the way the spirit intercedes is by groaning. Hmm. And we're told the spirit groans with groanings too deep for words. So the spirit is experiencing the truth of your soul and words actually can't, can't give meaning to what's actually going on in you in the deepest parts of your person. And the spirit groans there. We're told that, that this is in parallel in Romans 8 to creation groaning 
because creation knows what it was made for. And so similarly, the spirit is sent into your person. The spirit knows what you were created for. And so your spirit groans. Well, we're also told that Jesus, as our great high priest, always lives to intercede for us. Mm-hmm. And so before you utter a word in prayer, and for some of you, you really maybe before you start praying, you might want to just take five seconds and just pause and just remember, there's nothing you can say here that hasn't already been prayed. Wow. And that kind of deflates the performative worry. Uh-huh. In fact, I would actually say there's a kind of wordless prayer that Christians can enter that is, in many ways, it's just one word. It's just amen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I discover in my own life, many of my words, are. it's much more like Adam in the garden, where it sounds like I'm wheeling and dealing and trying to manipulate and manage God and trying to, like, I'm speaking a lot in prayer, because I'm trying to deal with a God I don't know how to deal with. Right. When God has already prayed the deepest things of my heart. And I just need to be open to the truth that he already knows. And, and so that that is how prayer works. We're invited into something that God has already named. And, and we're invited into just opening our hearts to the truth and being known in that place. Yeah. So we, so fascinating. We, when I was looking back through your book, you, uh, I'd forgotten that you said uh, um, not knowing how to pray is good news. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like. I didn't, you know, that's like counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it would just, as you describe it, that is such an invitation. You know, we're, we're all freshmen, you know, freshmen in the school of prayer. Totally. Uh, so one of the other concepts I find, so when I had you out to speak, you know, whenever it was a number of years ago, you said this line that has always stuck with me mm-hmm. that, that I think you said something like, um, prayer is... Or, or, or oftentimes we try to send our avatar to, to pray. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think at that point I was like, what's an avatar? Yes. <laughs> but since then I've discovered. And, I, <laughs> and you have this concept of honesty and dishonesty in prayer. And say, t- tell us more about why it's so important to be honest and not dishonest in prayer. Yeah, well, you know, the image that came up to us as we were writing this, you know, you're always trying to think of like, how do I explain things or what's image, what's a good image that maybe illustrates this. And one of the images that came up for me when I was writing this book was that if you imagine prayer is heard by God in stereo, so, you know, stereo is two channels or right in the left channel. In one channel, God hears the groaning of the spirit and the intercession of the son. And that, you know, God only prays for you in reality. Because God's not interested in, in fantasy, right? He only, he works in reality. Mm-hmm. So God is, is, you know, and again, the spirit's groaning, right? <laughs> and then I imagine the other channel, most of my prayers and what they must have sounded like against the backdrop of that groaning. And my prayers are like, hey, God, things are good. You know, like they're very just kind of like very superficial, like none of them naming the truth. And just the reality of, well, if prayer is a kind of drawing near to God, and drawing near is a theme you see repeatedly in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what the temple and tabernacle was for, right? It wasn't to placate an angry deity. It was to draw near, right? To bring near is what sacrifice means, but you were bringing yourself near. Um, and this is why in Romans 12, 1, we're told to kind of present our bodies as living sacrifices. Like we're, we're, we're called to draw near to God. And the problem is that many of us, like the Israelites who were fine sending Moses up the scary mountain, like 
we're more than happy to kind of send our Christian avatars to pray. And again, we begin praying like we imagine a good Christian should pray. So we think, okay, what, what, what kind of theological words should I say? You know, how do I do this so it sounds right? And, and we kind of pass a mediocre Bible exam on, on what prayer should maybe sound like. But we never actually showed up in God's presence. And you compare that to Jesus's parable about the two men who come to the temple to pray. One, the Pharisee who prays in his goodness, and one, the tax collector who won't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beats his breast and says, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man left justified and not the other. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I think of a psalm like Psalm 32 here is actually an interesting psalm where, where David is praying and he's saying like it's it's rotting away his bones. Like he he's being undone until he finally names his sin. Hmm. And then finally he knows forgiveness. I, I think many of us, when we come to prayer and we send our avatar, the problem is we, we actually kind of recognize the truth that we're not received or known because we haven't actually given ourselves to be known. I mean, it'd be like going on a date and lying the whole time. And like, yeah. And if you're loved in that place, that's weird because you kind of know deep down, well, I'm not loved though. I'm not known. Right. And I think for many people, that's what prayer is because, and I think that's why we pray so superficially. Whereas, you know, when you look in the Psalter, the Psalms present this, this unfolding of a life before God. And, And I would say, you know, take Psalm 73, for example, if you sat with Psalm 73 and just notice the movements of it. Mm-hmm. Psalm 73 is interesting because it's a psalm where the, the psalmist is recognizing, wow, I'm actually really envious of evildoers. And, and the psalmist is wrestling with this and he's kind of naming, he even at one point he kind of laments, like, why have I even done all this Christian stuff? I mean, obviously not Christian, but, but why have I done this stuff? I've been faithful. I've been devoted. I've done this stuff. How has it helped me? Like, these people are crushing it. Like, yeah. they're evil. And he says, it's not until he draws near in the sanctuary that he begins to see their end. And and so part of what the Psalms teach us is we actually have to allow the truth of our heart out in God's presence. And we have to kind of narrate the the realities of our hearts. And this is why you sometimes see the psalmists talking to themselves in prayer. Oh, my soul that is within me. Um, This is what the ancient kind of um, Protestants would, would call soliloquy where they would look at their soul in God's presence because they took really seriously the call to be watchful in prayer uh-huh. from Paul and Colossians four of this, this idea that I'm praying something and then I'm, I'm kind of attending. Is this true of me? Like, do I actually believe this? Um, so like in Psalm 62, David prays for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And then a couple of verses later, he says, Oh, my soul wait for God in silence. And you're like, well, is your soul waiting? <laughs> like, why are you not telling it to? And I've had that experience so many times. Like you say something that's theologically true in prayer and your heart goes, yeah, do we believe that? <laughs> you know, God, your powers made perfect in my weakness. Oh, my soul, believe that God's power is made perfect in our right. weakness. Like this is the reality. Like prayer is actually the very place we wrestle with God and we kind of wrestle with his truth and we name, wow, oh, God, I believe, but there's all sorts of unbelief here. Mm-hmm. And so the real danger is, is not being honest. And here, but here's the deeper problem. Everyone knows they should be honest in prayer. I, I've never met a person that denies that. Mm-hmm. The deeper problem is you, you actually haven't probably attended to how you pray. 
And, and so what we want people to do, what we're trying to kind of navigate in the book is how do we show people that even though they say, oh yeah, yeah, you should be honest in prayer, they're not oh. being honest in prayer. And that they really need to attend to what kinds of things do you just not tell God? Like uh -huh. what, what kind of things do you not bring to prayer? And and what I have seen, I, I've met a, a bunch of people who will tell me there are certain things that God cannot hear. Hmm. And they usually tie it with reverence. Well, that, that doesn't feel reverent. And, and I have to remind them that the opposite of honesty is dishonesty, not reverence. And it's yeah. not reverent to be dishonest, right? Like, like that, that, but it's interesting, like, wow, reverence, like, where did you learn that? And most of us pick up on ideas of reverence, of honoring, right? Like we, we, we learn these in relation often to our fathers and often our family like systems. We learn like what appropriate is, what's inappropriate, what kind of conversations we don't talk about in our family. And we just translate that into prayer. And I think part of what God's doing and part of what the Spirit's doing by groaning in our souls and in the truth is he's calling us to name, name reality and, and come to me with the things that you really care about. Because, you know, the, that same right, writer that I mentioned, Herbert McCabe, who I love on prayer, he, he, he has a great line when he's talking about how um, maybe for the first time in their lives, um, the people on the Titanic when it was sinking were finally praying the deepest desires of their hearts. Oh, wow. And, and that's why their mind, he's like, none of them had a problem with their mind wandering. He said, most of us are bored in prayer because we're not praying what we really want. We're praying what we imagine a good Christian should want. Yeah. And I thought that's just so true. Like how many times in prayer do we say things we think God wants us to say when deep below the surface, we're feeling like, God, why aren't you showing up? God, why is my life falling apart? God, what's happened to my marriage? God, what are my children doing? God, like, all these things, we're, we're kind of taking the deep things we really care about, and we're just kind of deciding, I guess those things are for me to, to wrap, kind of wrestle with, and God doesn't want to hear this stuff. He wants to hear cleaned up versions of myself, Right. and the psalmists tell us something very different. Yeah, and that that's one of the things, when people come, maybe ask me and express discomfort or unease or don't know what to say in prayer, I point them to the psalms, like a you no matter what you're feeling, you can find it. <laughs> That's right. You find it there. Yeah, yeah. And I think um so so good to just okay, if you they help you tell the truth about and give you words mm. to to pray uh when you when you don't when you don't have the right words or you're you're struggling to be able to, you know, I hate that person. Um mm. you know, totally. you know, I, I don't think God wants to say it. Well, <laughs> the psalmist totally. will help you say it. Yeah, and yeah. Do you think do you think prayer changes us as we pray or God or in the process of prayer God changes us? Yeah, you know, I I think part of, you know, this is where I think a lot of us struggle so much with the Christian life is because I think we don't we don't expect prayer to be a place where we change. Mm -hmm. You know, prayer just becomes kind of communicating, got keeping him kind of posted online or something rather than the very place we come face to face with God and wrestle and you know, I, I look at, you know, um, one of the, one of the ways my mentor, I remember he, he kind of spoke this to me at one point about Psalm 139, which has always been one of my favorite Psalms, I love it. but he pointed out to me that I skip the part that's like, kill my enemies, you know, <laughs> like the, the part up front, that's nice. Like God knit me together in my mother's womb, you know, and then the, the part at the end, search me and know me. And he goes, Kyle, you're missing the whole point of the Psalm. The whole point of the Psalm is the, the first like half is the Psalm is going, I can't hide from you. You're everywhere. And it's not it's not nice, 
it's kind of horrifying. Like God, I he's trying to hide. He's like, if I go to, to Sheol, you are there. If even in my mother's womb, you were there. And then like, why is he hiding from God? And then he erupts in anger. Uh-huh. I want to kill people. And it's only after that, that he prays, search, search my heart, test me. If I see if there's any offensive way in me. So he's actually taking his heart and he's holding up the truth before God. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I have found with anger, particularly as an emotion, mm-hmm. this is, we, we have to, we have to actually open it and, and it kind of deflates when we open it. The problem is most of us experience emotion as the, the very thing that cannot be, be received. And so we try to kind of shove it down and it erupts. Mm. Like it will vent. The question is, are you going to vent it with God or are you going to vent it without God and just allow it to erupt in your life? But I have found, you know, I remember this is one moment as an author, this happens, you know, if you're any sort of public Christian, you have people that that demonize you for usually no reason, <laughs> <laughs> almost comically. And, and with me, I get demonized for, for usually this weird guilt by association thing of people I'm not even associated with. So they somehow associate with people that are bad or whatever. Well, this one guy really came after me and it was, um, he actually tagged me. That's what set me off. Cause typically, you know, someone might make me aware of something, but this guy tagged me, which I should have known better. Like he was trying to get under my skin, but I was just like, I was furious and I mistakenly in my folly, right. I responded really quick. And then I stopped and I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to pray. And I went to prayer and my initial prayer was, God, I want to publicly humiliate this person. <laughs> that was where I started. And then, you know, what was so interesting was as I kind of unfolded it, I slowly just offered it to the Lord. Lord, I'm so angry. Lord, mm-hmm. why does, why are, why is someone trying to undermine what I'm like? I ended my prayer with, Lord, I don't know why this person needs me to be evil, but Lord, you know, Lord, it's not mm-hmm. my job to respond. It's not my job to, and I ended with a, Lord, I'm yours. I, it's not my job to kind of somehow kind of clean my online platform to kind of present a, a kind of whatever, like I'm, I'm yours. And it was a stunt. If I wouldn't have done that, I would have just stood on this for weeks <laughs> and it would have come up some other point again. But at the end of it, I was able to say, Lord, I, th- this, this, this is connected to all sorts of things that has nothing to do with him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so this is where I think in, in many ways we do change profoundly in prayer where prayer, it really becomes the place when, as we draw near to God and we come out of our, you will come out of yourself in prayer. I mean, that's why your mind wanders in prayer. It's not because you're bad. It's not because you need to get a a hold of a wandering mind. When you, when you draw near to God, he is going to open your heart and your heart is going to tell you what its treasures are. Mm -hmm. You know, my treasures have to do with the Lakers and their ability to make the playoffs right now. You know, that's that's a real question I have, you know, and I have all sorts of worries. (laughs) West is brutal right now, right? Um, You know, it has to do with me trying to control my life so things don't go wrong. And has to do, there's all sorts of things that are going to come out of my heart in prayer. If I just try to master these wandering thoughts, I've missed the opportunity to say, Lord, why do I care so much about this? Lord, why am I trying to control my life? Lord, why, why do I get obsessed about this stuff? Why am I so worried all the time? Lord, why, why, why can't I have faith here? Like, this is the place where I actually begin to navigate the truth of my life. And honestly, one of the things that I have found more than anything else, I think, about prayer is when you actually begin praying your life, mm-hmm. prayer, prayer ceases to be boring. 
I was bored with prayer because I was trying to pray like a good Christian would pray. But when my life comes into prayer, my actual worries, you know, the actual troubles, the actual angers, all those things. Now it's like, Lord, this is where my heart is. Mm-hmm. And I, I want, I want my heart to be where you are. So Lord here, you know, it's, it's a way of kind of, again, presenting myself to the Lord and being known. Wow. That that's really profound. Um, one of the things I really like about your book, well, the, first I'm going to make a confession and then I'll say what I like about your book. See, I'm a, I, I'm, a, I'm a Presbyterian by choice. You know, I, you know, I was in my twenties when I became Presbyterian, but there's something true about Presbyterians. We'd much rather read a book about something than actually practice it. <laughs> sure. And as an academic, maybe you feel that as totally, well. Totally. <laughs> and your book has a lot of practices about mm-hmm. ideas. Like, are you a journaler? Well, this is maybe how you can, you can journal while, while you pray. What are some activities, some practices that can help us enter into an honest conversation with God in prayer? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, to your point, we, we, we try to really be practical. Um, we try to kind of name all these layout ways to take this. You know, one of the ways that I think is the, is the maybe the easiest is, and it, it maybe it's after you listen to a sermon, maybe it's after you read a passage of scripture. Maybe it's just, just instead of just thinking about it. See, I'm a, I'm a theologian. So in, I do this in class all the time. I'll say, don't, don't leave this class and just think about what I've said. Take this to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like we have a tendency to just kind of mull over things. Mm-hmm. What if you actually took that to the Lord and try to open it up in his presence? Mm-hmm. Lord, when Jeff was preaching today, I was annoyed. Mm-hmm. I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said this and it just bothered me. Why, why, why am I so an, uh, annoyed? Why am I so angry? Lord, my spouse did this. I was just, oh, I was furious. I just wanted to, uh, Lord, what is happening in me? Lord, why, you know, t- instead of just wondering or even worse, just kind of hiding from it and not naming the truth, mm-hmm. be very open to kind of what, what are you experiencing and, and, and what might it look like to open that to the Lord? And, and and just talk about it with him. Ask him to illumine your life. Like, Lord, what, what is going on in my life that these things keep on coming out of my heart? Like, what what yeah. are, why are these the treasures of my heart? And I think that's once we start just attending to, to reality in that way. And you know, our, our forefathers and mothers, they were experts at this. You know, it's it's the Protestant tradition that generated journaling, that generated diaries and these sorts of things. And in many ways, it was them at the end of the day or at the week, but often even on a daily, and I do this um, oftentimes, I'll spend about a half, like 20 minutes at night after I put my kids down, I'll just stop and I'll just consider my day. Uh-huh. And and usually I'm, I'm kind of attending to kind of interactions with others, but also highs and lows, like emotional kind of reality. Because you remember your emotions don't tell you true things about the world, but they t- do tell you true things about how you relate to the world. Okay. Um, they're they're like the lights on the dashboard of your your car, right? Like they're they're flashing at you, you know. And I want to pay attention to what those flashes are, and then I want to I want to just open those. To the Lord, Lord, why? Wow, why when I heard that person say, why did envy come out of my heart? Lord, what? Mm-hmm. Why am I jealous of that person? Or, um, wow. And and I often find there's many times in my days, well, well, there'll be moments where I was like, wow, Lord, I'm so grateful for that, but I never would have even thought about that interaction again if I wouldn't have just paused. What a, thank you for that. Lord. What a gift that was, you know, just, just holding the moments of our lives before him. 
And what I like about that practice, which we usually just call it kind of a practice of examination, is that it helps you to become a bit more watchful. Mm. And it helps you to kind of be a bit more attentive to offer the, the various aspects of your life before God. But, you know, the, the Protestant tradition, I think, um, and the Reformed tradition in particular, was really, that one of the really kind of strong emphasis they have in our tradition is on be watchful when you pray. And that is, an, and that is something that you have to cultivate, which is just kind of be aware of what is going on when you pray. And particularly when you want to start talking to yourself rather than God. Right? Does something come up and you, you start kind of fixing it? Or as my, my mentor used to say, he'd want to hit pause on uh -huh. prayer, talk to himself for a little while, then hit unpause. And he said the whole time God's like, the pause button, does, I'm still here. That doesn't work. Like I got, <laughs> I've heard this whole crazy soliloquy you just had trying to be better at this. Like, stop it. Talk to me about this. Mm. And that's um, that's a practice that takes time to cultivate, but I, I think is worth it because it, it it is precisely the thing we need that will allow us to then present ourselves fully in the truth. I love it. I love it. Okay. Last question. What, um, so folks may not know who are not in the, uh, you know, theological academic world, but you, you study a lot of Jonathan Edwards functions pretty heavily in your academic work, but he was an a theologian, but also a pastor. What yeah? What kind of what kind of advice might Edwards give us that would be very Edwardsian um, mm. when it comes to prayer? Yeah, you know, one of my favorite kind of Edwardsisms um, is he has this great. It's not put very well, so I always have to paraphrase it. But it's he basically says, you know, as a Christian, you can't kind of force yourself off of the world. Mm. He says you have to see something better. You, the problem with sin isn't that you sin, it's that you, you move towards sin because you think it's better than what God offers you. You think it's mm. more beautiful. He says you have to see something more beautiful. Like the problem with the Christian life for Edwards is, is like you are ordered to the beautiful and the, the sinner is ordered to sin as beautiful. Like your heart says, yes, I want this. God says no. And you say, yes. <laughs> And so I think in prayer, you know, oftentimes we'll experience your know, mind will wander to things, we'll experience things. Sometimes we're straight sinning, like, you know, all sorts of things go on. I think Edwards always wants to say, we need to take those realities and see how they're ordering us. Like, what is it telling us about the kind of internal compass of our hearts? What do you think beautiful is? And then what would it mean to set your eyes on something better? And that's that I there's something profound about that, I think, in all sorts of ways, because it Edwards actually compares it. He compares Christian growth to being weaned. Huh. And, and you have little kids now, so you know, you know, you know how weaning works. Right? It's, yeah. it's not as smooth of a process. You know, we we kind of they go kicking and screaming into weaning. <laughs> and it's a great I think it's a great example. I think it's if we can look at our own life and say, like that infant, like there's something better for us. Like he has like, I've got a, a nice steak for you, but like, why do you want the bottle? Like put right. the bottle down. And I think for many of us, the problem on the other side is it feels like God's taking our loves away from us because we're not yet able to, we don't have eyes yet to see, no, that's, a, that's something I'd, I'd rather have. It's a better good. 
um, C.S. Lewis was really on about this, right? So C.S. Lewis would often kind of talk about, you know, we're playing in the mud with mud pies because we don't know what a vacation at the sea would look like. Yeah, exactly. We could be at the sea. <laughs> and I, Edwards, I mean, it's it's that image, I think, is is a really helpful one. And I think, but the problem is, again, you can't just sit and think about your life and see the ways that this is true. It's actually going to be when you draw near in prayer hmm. where God where God opens your heart to the truth. And that's your, and so again, for most, most Christians, the, the, the prayer's hard because their expectations are so bad. Yeah. Um, you should expect that prayer will be, a, be experiencing your flesh quite a lot. But if we can remember that that's actually good news, that God actually wants to show us the truth so that he can heal us, then again, that, that's not a bad, right? that, that's, that's an opportunity to kind of, again, be weaned off of the things of this world to better things. Right. But if prayer's a performance and we're showing our sin, then it just feels like I'm failing. This is miserable. I don't want to do this. I better say a quick thing and then get out of there as quickly as possible. Right. And again, prayer just becomes lifeless at that, at that point. Wow. That's awesome, man. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Loved your book. I encourage people to check it out where prayer becomes real. Um, Kyle Strobel, I thank you for closing the distance with us today. I really appreciate it. On, on behalf of all those folks, they're going to learn about prayer and learn about being real with God in their conversations with God. Um, thank you for making a difference. and Thank you for your ministry. Thanks, Jeff. So good to be with you, brother. All right. We'll do it again soon.